0: Welcome to The Dead Format, episode 45. My name is Limited Larry, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Two Story Tom, and we're here to talk about legacy.
1: Now, why are we Limited Larry? Are we limited in our mental capacity? Are we are we just playing a bunch of limited? Am I reading too deep into this?
0: Yeah, I'm not a legacy boy anymore. I'm just a limited boy now. That's all I've been doing the past 10 days, and I feel, uh, I feel like this is like uh, being thrown back into the deep end of the pool looking at deck lists right now.
1: You've been joining the war?
0: Well, this, this there really is a war for like the uh, perception of this format. A lot of people are slinging a lot of hate on Twitter today. A lot of people don't like this limited format. Have you had a chance to play it at all?
1: So I, I haven't. I wasn't able to play in the pre-release that I was planning on going with my buddy Matt to. Uh, I had to proctor an AP practice test in the morning, and there was no way that I was going to be able to pull off a full day of teaching plus being a dad going to a midnight pre-release and then being functional to proctor and grade exams in the morning it just wasn't going to happen
0: uh yeah them too that's brutal. yep i didn't get to do a pre-release either but i've just dove in pretty hard to the uh the moto leagues like the i do the intermediate leagues at first because i don't want to oh one drop i want to like play out matches with my bad decks to see like what's good and bad about them and then once i feel comfortable with format i go to the competitive league so that's sort of been my game and the leagues are definitely firing a lot slower than they did last time i was really deep in limited was dominaria i didn't really like the last two Ravnica sets as much but the leagues would pop off you know like maybe one one minute to like 130 would be the the max queue time and now it's like closer to three sometimes four minutes for me like queuing up to, you know, for the eight man.
1: No, that's that's still not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I mean, when you said that you do- dove pretty hard into limited, I was going to ask you whether or not it was moto or arena, because I I know a lot of people are hitting arena pretty hard.
0: Yeah, from what I understand, it's still the bots, right? You're still just drafting against bots. You are. That just doesn't sit right with me, man. Maybe it's, you know, just another old school idiosyncrasy you know, of mine, but I, I just really like, you know, the signaling aspect of it and finding your lane and everything. And I'm actually playing in the limited Grand Prix, and I think you are too, right? The uh the one in Providence in like three weeks.
1: I am. I am playing with my friend JT and Michael Rapp, who I'm actually recording a podcast with this week, schedule dependent. Whoa. Mike, they are they are gonna do this on their own, but they're my teammates, and Mike is has hit the sort of content creation, the content creation aspect pretty hard. He writes he's, right? He's writing for hipsters. He's doing coaching. He's uh, sponsored by a few, a few different venues, and it's it's going to be great to sit down and talk to them about London.
0: So, what is the theme of the podcast?
1: They haven't really figured that out yet, but they're like trying to come up with an identity because JT is mostly a limited player and Mike Rapp is sort of known for a little bit of legacy, but mostly modern. Modern, yeah. Yeah, so they're they're really trying to come up with an identity and how they're going to sort of tie it all together.
0: Do they have a name yet?
1: No, they don't have a name. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm doing the recording with them to talk to them about London and then show them how to record, how to edit, how to get everything set up. So it's it's mostly that.
0: So when you say London, uh, are you talking about the the? Oh, the, he played, played in the, the pro tour. He yeah, played so, in the pro tour.
1: Did did JT also? Well, play? J, JT went to play in the Grand Prix and actually cashed. Oh, nice! Without without making day two, Whoa, so that's what? that's Wait, a what, story. What the fuck does that mean? I actually played in London too. Oh, I was not in London. However, I picked up a match win, and I got my buys <laughs> locked. For next year that I haven't had since my kid was born, so
0: you're really putting the buy in the buy system.
1: Yes, 100. percent I even got a refund from Channel Fireball for the event. Whoa. Maybe I, maybe I should I should take this out, but as soon as I saw that uh, I had hit the point threshold, I sent them an email to withdraw me from the event, and they still they still gave me points for it, and I got my money back. So,
0: bro, next level. Yeah, we got we gotta we gotta. Yeah, we gotta work this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get on this. I think that the last Grand Prix it's actually Providence, right, for Pro points.
1: So or, this I'm is sorry, the thing. Points. It's the cutoff is that weekend. And usually the the planes marker points process a few days after. So the reason why I scheduled my or I registered for a side event in London is I'm not sure if this is going to be the end of this year or the beginning of next year when the Planeswalker points get processed. And I don't trust Wizards to do it <laughs> on the date that it should, on the date of the event. Yep. I'm worried that it's going to go in as the date that it was processed. So I I spent 14 pounds to register <sighs> for, for one of the modern events in London.
0: That's a totally reasonable concern, I think, that if you have like 1,250 or whatever Planned Walker points, you're that close, like just, just take care of it. You know, just get done. Yeah, it was
1: 1,290 something. So it was, I, I literally just needed the participation points from one side event. So I, I went ahead and bought my buys. <laughs>
0: That's sick, man. So what is JT's story similar to that?
1: Uh, Well, so they, the new Grand Prix payout pays down to 225th place and
0: oh it's a super large grand prix or whatever
1: well no so that's it doesn't matter if it's a for a 50k event it pays down to 225th or 200 and whatever okay but there were only 128 people that qualified for day two or under 200 people that qualified for day two so there were some people who got paid that did not actually qualify for day two was it just
0: a really small grand prix
1: no the way that they ran it they ran it as sort of pre-release flights, where you could play in multiples. It was, it was it a, was a really fucked up structure. <sighs> that's one of the reasons why we're going to talk about it.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's cool, man. So you're going to be doing that this week? Yeah, schedule,
1: schedule dependent. Did you partake in any
0: uh, Cinco de Mayo festivities this weekend?
1: I didn't. I was drinking scotch this weekend. I went from craft beer to to drinking scotch because i'd never really been into it and i ended up i i, I want to say that i'm like an alcoholic now i i tasted i tasted scotch and i was like where what why did i not understand that this was just beautiful when i was younger
0: well you tasted it when you were younger i'm sure right
1: yeah and i i thought that it was garbage and had to mask it with everything and now Just throw Uh, some ice, throw some ice in it. And I'm like, wow, this is, you
0: can't mask scotch. It doesn't mix well with other things. In my opinion, like that's why you start with like blended whiskey or whatever, you know, but yeah, scotch is great, man. I got into it down in Miami actually for the first time.
1: So there we go. No, no Cinco de Mayo for me.
0: Yeah. I'm back on my, uh, my JMO bullshit keto style right now. So I, uh, actually it was a pretty good weekend. I got to play golf twice and, uh, I had the best golf weekend, I think, of my in recent memory since I moved to Boston. So since 2013, uh, I was just crushing the ball, man. I hung out with our friend DJ again. Uh, third round, I played with him this year. And I just want to put the call out to any listeners who are in the Boston area, who are I don't I don't want to say just like who own clubs, who who are reasonably proficient golfers, just to play around, man. Because I'm you know I'm always looking to play more. So if you're in the Boston area, hit me up.
1: So we can't just be giving this away for free. We have a new twenty dollar patron tier. I'm what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. It's play play a round of golf with Ian and DJ.
0: Oh god. Dude, DJ fell on the on the first hole and uh, his pants were just covered in mud. It was really pretty wet. It's been wet. We had like the rainiest April in history, so
1: well, there have been so many baseball games that have been cancelled. I, I know at, at, yeah, at least at, at our at our high school, we're backed we're completely backed up,
0: damn, so yeah, it was uh it was a great weekend though, man. I was bombing my drives, uh, went to the range and didn't even end up hitting most of the balls so I didn't want to fuck up my shot. so I'm feeling good. Uh, our friend Jason Grigley was talking some shit to me in text earlier, so i am gonna have to spank him uh, in one of the upcoming weekend days. but so do we have any new patrons this week? Yeah,
1: we have four new patrons this week. I'd like to thank Brian Bradshaw for signing up, Marcus Dom, Curtis Musashi, and Chris Tucker. I really want to make like a Chris Tucker Friday Friday quote right now, but I'm sure that it is not that Chris Tucker.
0: Bro, what is a Chris Tucker Friday quote?
1: You don't know who fucking Chris Tucker is?
0: I do. He's a comedian, you just, right? He's you like, just
1: got knocked the fuck out.
0: He's man. like the original Chris Rock, right? So... Yeah, I should go back and watch Friday, I guess. Before, yep. uh, before Star Wars, certainly.
1: So we're both we're both going to the Museum of Fine Arts coming up, aren't
0: we, bro? We got to set a date, right, for this.
1: I, I think we do. I need to find a time that I'm available to actually go. I still haven't thanked Steven yet.
0: You haven't thanked him.
1: I haven't thanked Steve yet. No.
0: Oh, that's brutal. I, I forgot. I forgot, I
1: forgot about it. I forgot so- until I read the cast notes.
0: So Tom and I thought we got a wedding or save the dates, like wedding invitations or whatever in the mail from our buddy. And it turns out that they're VIP passes to a French something exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts that are good until August. So yeah, we're uh, we're going to the MFA. We're, we're taking TDF to the MFA. And uh, yeah, GFY, bro.
1: My wife was like, oh, that's a, that's an artist that she knew. I literally i really? am the least cultured person that i know i i play dungeons and dragons and magic the gathering and i like drink and <laughs> and and watch tv like jeopardy that's that's like the most exposure that i get to culture is watching jeopardy every night so i'm i'm way behind everybody else
0: yeah steve's wife or sorry steve's fiance is an artist like in their house they have like a studio the house that they're building right now so I, I don't know maybe she has something to do with this exhibit or something. I asked him like to to expand upon like the nature of these invitations and I got nothing. So all right. So I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the London Mulligan has been removed from Modo as of fin- like a, finally. Yeah, like a week ago. I honestly didn't expect it to happen. I didn't. I, I know that it was supposed to happen, but a lot of things are supposed to happen with regard to. Magic the Gathering online, that don't always happen, right? And it seems like I don't know from the feedback that I've seen. I haven't had like any lengthy discussions with people about their modern rounds at the Pro Tour, but it seems like people liked it,
1: right? The they definitely had positive things to say about the Mulligan, and I, I think the bigger thing though with the Pro Tour was the public the public deck lists, which I'm I'm kind of a big fan of and i think that at least in modern the changes were taken very positively and they're going to be doing it in the next pro tour as well are you
0: a big fan of the open list for pro tours or like even for grand prix and stuff
1: well i think it's it's hard to coordinate that on a grand prix level like but, i yeah i'm not i'm not sure if the steps that they took. Actually, never mind. Scratch that. It's probably fine. You probably just need to make sure that you can print out a copy of everybody's deck lists that you give to them in the players meeting and they they carry it with them all day. Players losing their deck list is probably going to be a struggle, but in a Grand Prix, there is a little bit of surprise that you have when you sit down against your opponent and you see your opening hand and you're like, wow, this is this is amazing against a chalice deck, but it is awful against a blue deck. Yeah. And the, the unknown information I like at the Grand Prix level, because the tournaments are so big, at least in day one, it's really hard to scout people to know exactly what they're on. Obviously, that's a disadvantage to people who say what their decks are. It's a disadvantage to players who write or have podcasts or whatever. But I, I think day one, the hidden information is fine. Maybe I'd like to see it day two in Grand Prix.
0: Yeah, day two seems a lot more reasonable to me. Because then there's just responsible people, right? Or people, people who are more vested in, in carrying around their deck list and paying more attention.
1: Yes, I understand.
0: So, yeah, it's just kind of weird to conflate the two things, right? Like the the London Mulligan taking effect and also having the open deck list. Like maybe the London Mulligan in and of itself was problematic, but counteracted by the open deck list, which is a huge change, you know?
1: Yeah. Now, I don't think that in modern the London Mulligan was problematic. I think if we take a look at the deck list that finished well, you could see that they weren't really decks that – the London mulligan took from not being solid choices to being great choices. Obviously being able to mark, sorry, obviously being able to know, <laughs> to know when you're drawing a Tron land is going to be great no matter what mulligan you use. But yeah, I just wanted to get that in there.
0: Yeah. Rip. So the, uh, the mulligan is off mode. out do you, so there's, there's a couple problems, right? The Modern Horizon set is coming in. And also, I guess this card form is fucking up modern right now for the uh, the upcoming pro tour in Barcelona. The one that, that our buddy Jerry just qualified for is, again, going to be the London Mulligan as far as I know. And I don't know. Do you think that that'll still be the probationary period? Like, I haven't really been following, like, the magic news the past 10 days. So I don't know if, like, some announcement's been made, but... I'm just really not sure like where we are with this right now.
1: I think they're, they're just going to give it one more pro tour before they make it final. I think we're going to get the London Mulligan, and I think that it is also going to be coming to Legacy and Vintage so that we should prepare for it. But for right now, we're sort of in an area where we don't have a ton of huge events coming up. But if I was going to sort of plan ahead for Atlanta, I would... I would predict that we will have the London Mulligan in that tournament.
0: Interesting. And London Mulligan with the same format we have now, plus like Modern Horizons and stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I, my personal prediction, I might have said this already, but I think that w- if we do have the London Mulligan, I think it'll mostly be fine, but I, I would like to see Ancient Tomb get banned, honestly. I think that's the card that like makes up for Mulligans the most, and if you're you're giving the non-blue decks equity, and, and also sort of show and tell, which is a blue deck and Ancient Tomb deck. If you're giving those decks equity, and then this card that also just negates a mulligan, like negates being down a card by being two lands in one, I think that, that that card might be a pressure point. But we'll see what happens, right?
1: Yeah, I I am willing to go out on a limb and say that we are never going to be in a ban, uh, ban Ancient Tomb environment. Really? You think so? Yeah, I think so. I think that you're probably right that that card does all of those things, but the two mana lands are what the colorless decks are sort of based around. And the cards that are enabled are more likely banworthy than the land. And you, I mean, you look at vintage shops is still unrestricted, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not going to ban ancient tomb and legacy.
0: I think that's like the primary example of what I fear is, is like a shop scenario where, Chalice has so much equity that it becomes, like, a, a very polarized, like, are you a Chalice deck or a non-Chalice deck? Like, it in vintage, right?
1: So, that's a that's a great segue into our next topic, which is Karn, 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 Karn! <laughs> or not, not really. We have some other stuff to talk about, but...
0: Dude, did you see this post from, uh, I think it was Tofer posted... About he played in the challenge yesterday, which we still don't have deck lists for, by the way. So well, what we know
1: what we know what the top eight was.
0: We know every deck in the top eight because I didn't.
1: I know every deck in the top eight, and oh, I'm gonna awesome. let everybody else know.
0: All right, perfect. So Tover mentioned that he played uh, the blue white red stone blade deck that we've kind of talked about up to this point, which is just blue white stone blade with uh, four blasts in the sideboard, and that he played against a bunch of post decks and was talking about playing from the ashes in a sideboard in the future.
1: Well, I have quite a few from the ashes. If anybody needs any, please (laughs) let me know. I, this is your day, man. It is. It is my day. I actually had, I went back through my TCG player, like order list to see how many I had. And I found like, I found some great things that I just completely forgot that I had. Like, I got a playset of beta Dark Rituals for
0: $50. All day? For, for like, all four was 50
1: For For all four of them was $50, and that was just two Damn. years ago. That was just two years ago. I know two years ago is a long time in magic terms, but in April of 2017, four beta Dark Rituals came to me.
0: Jesus Christ, man. That's pretty good. I got some alpha black vices for 20 bucks. I think that's my biggest score from 3 year 2015, so almost 4 years ago now.
1: That's pretty good.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, from the ashes, you might get your day in the sun yet. Yeah, I come out of that shame box.
1: Well, the, the, I got they got put into the shame box at 30 cents. So, <laughs> we're we're okay with that.
0: So, we never did, did like uh spoilers Uh, Sorry, what's the word for it? A set review for uh, War of the Spark. Like, we had Lawrence on, like, three episodes ago or so. And that was when the cards were first getting spoiled. We had, like, the edict that we we talked about a little bit and Teferi at that point in time. But uh, we didn't have, like, a full spoiler. And we decided that we didn't want to do exactly, like, a full spoiler cast for this set specifically, especially. Because there were so many cards that were sort of worthy of discussion but not necessarily worthy of play and it just would have taken literally forever like so many in same plays territory. so we decided to shelf that for this set but coming into this set i just wanted to mention really quickly the the cards that i thought would would certainly be seeing play from this set uh were blast zone liliana's triumph the krenko the the sort of bad goblin rabble master kinda of red card. Uh just as like a supplement in those decks, the Blood Moon and Blood Sun decks. Yep. Uh Dovin's Veto and Teferi were the cards that were initially on my radar, just like looking at the set review before the cards came out, right? I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that list, but
1: No, I think I think we didn't we didn't want to do the set review for a reason. Yeah. Because it's just boring as fuck. But now that we have a little bit more information as to what's going on, we can start to talk about these cards.
0: And it's pretty crazy because the two cards that seem to have had the most impact uh, up to this point are Narset and Karn. And Narset, I don't even know if I saw it in the spoilers. It was Uncommon Planeswalker. And there's this thing with, with, these, uh, with this set the uncommon Planeswalkers, there's uh there's like kashmini or something along those lines and uh then there's there's another one and then there's uh, narset so i just kind of blended them all together in my head like i'm not i'm not sure if i really even read narset to be honest and it's it's basically leevald now right
1: yeah i mean i when i read through there were some of the uncommon walkers that i I thought might have had potential. Narset was there because the static ability is Leovold and it's minus is double impulse. Yeah. And I, I still, in my mind, when I looked at those cards, I thought Teferi was just going to be higher up and the spots would get clogged at three. So I, I didn't think that Narset was really going to break through over Teferi, but it, it really is starting to show that it's the better of the three mana walkers. And another one to keep an eye out for is Vivian. The three-mana Vivian actually put up some copies in the league results as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's the one that gives all creatures flash. I guess we should talk about these cards, right? This is what we're guilty of in the past. Yes. Uh, Narset is one blue-blue. Uh, your opponents, this is asymmetrical, of course, because 2019. Your opponents can't draw more than one card a turn. So that's that's the same text as Leopold, right?
1: Uh, yeah, it's one It's one of the lines of Leopold, yeah.
0: Right, I, I just mean like with regard to whether it's their turn or your turn or whatever. They can draw one card on your turn. You know, they can draw their one card on their turn and then one card on your turn, but they can't draw multiple cards. So you're locking out Brainstorms, basically. You're locking out Cantrips at, at Sorcery Speed, like your Ponders and Preordains, that sort of thing. So it's it's obviously a, a playable card, right? It's one blue-blue. For a planeswalker, and I don't know, I just totally missed it. But it's it's more castable than Leoball, because it's not you don't have to reach into bug colors for it. And it has, like you said, a minus two. That is impulse. Uh, look at the top four cards of your library and reveal a non-creature card. Put it in your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in any order.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really kind of a search search for its kanta activation, but the the fact that you get your card back right away is huge.
0: Yeah, it it's really great and you don't have to really, you know, be abusing that necessarily. Like you don't really have to build your deck to I don't I don't want to say like you have to build your deck around it, you know, like certainly like decks like Sneak and Show would would love that effect combo decks, but even like, you know, a regular Stoneforge deck can totally utilize that ability.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So it's just a really strong card. And then the other one is Karn, obviously.
1: This card, man, this card. This card has taken Moto by storm this week. The, uh, the brutalness of getting locked out by Karning a Mycosynth Lattice is is just something that I've seen all over Moto in the past week and a half. Rich Shea was streaming and was playing against Caleb Derward and was facing down a a board of Ulamog, Thought Not Seer, some other Eldrazis, and ended up top decking Karn to be able to win. It was a card that completely swapped the advantage bar in this matchup. And having a one-card combo where you just need to use a sideboard spot for Lattice or Ensnaring Bridge is just absolutely crazy. I Right now, that card has just sort of taken over MTGO. The top eight of the latest challenge where the lists aren't published had four Karn decks. It was Death and Taxes, Maverick, two Eldrazi Post, two Big Eldrazi, all with Karn, and then the blue, white, red stone blade deck that Topher played, and and a blue, red Delver.
0: Okay. So yeah, all the all the post decks you just mentioned, uh, the Eldrazi slash post decks. Uh, they there were, had, they yeah,
1: yeah had there were four. There are four Karn decks in the top eight.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, man. I I honestly had never seen this card, Mycosynth Lattice, so that wasn't on my radar when I looked at Karn, but like unlike Narset, I definitely looked at Karn and considered it and was like, "Wow, this is going to be a house in vintage." You know, I didn't really think about it in legacy as much. And it makes total sense, you know, with with access to the a board card like that. Plus you have your typical, you know, your uh engineering Bridge and maybe like a Ratchet Bomb or like Tormod's Crypt, stuff like that, you know, like the typical bullets you'd think of, Graft Digger's Cage, that sort of thing. It really gives a lot of, a lot of, just a crazy wishboard to those decks, right? Those decks that don't have selection typically gives them access to all these cards that that really are are just a phenomenal toolbox, right?
1: Absolutely. And decks that can abuse effects like Lion's Eye Diamond, like Max Gilmore was on, Everyday Eternal this week talking about how the new Karn in Bomberman allowing you to have your Karn in play and crack Line's eye diamond with the Karn ability on the stack. Having a one card lock piece that completely removes your opponent's ability to play magic just seems seems absolutely crazy. But all of that all of that's happening now. I I kind of really want to talk about where we go after that because post is everywhere on moto right now
0: yeah absolutely that that's a good question that's something i was thinking about today so do you have a place that you'd want to start
1: well i mean the the first place you start is back to basics the the lack of interaction of the post decks and really their weakness to wasteland and back to basics, yeah. not not so much Blood Moon anymore, because the post decks are playing so many effects like Grim Monolith and Thran Dynamo that I'm not sure if Blood Moon is good enough.
0: Yeah, I wonder about that, because typically Blood Moon used to be like a, a mirror breaker in like a chalice matchup, right? Like you're talking about Blood Moon versus post or Blood Moon versus Eldrazi, where you're both chalice decks, so that kind of gets negated, but you can... You can stifle their mana so much by by taking away the post lands from them. So you think that that's just going to be totally negated now versus like a, a Blood Moon plus Karn Wishboard deck, like being the trump for that matchup?
1: Well, I think that it just it doesn't do enough. There's so much artifact ramp and the fact that you can you can just cast your Karn with a Blood Moon in play. Yeah. Like you can make you can make your third land drop and have your mana rock and be fine. I just I think that you you either need to go way under that deck with wasteland strategies or you need to be able to play hard counterspells for the important cards and then get ahead with back to basics. So I feel like the decks that are running count the actual card counterspell and back to basics decks that are Delverish with wastelands that might have access to discard, like Grixis Delver. Yeah. And then maybe blue, white, red, mid-range decks might need to pick up a tool like from the Ashes, because they need to be able to compete with what that deck is trying to do.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that that sentiment, man. And I was thinking about like Grixis, uh also Maverick and Bog Decks. And and even band decks like how they fit into this equation.
1: Yeah, knight knight of the reliquary decks seem like they get way better in a world like that where you can just re- re- like repeatedly tutor up your wastelands. Yeah, even even something with like a like a crucible. I feel like if if everybody is moving to play these these mana hungry post lists, even though they're not as mana hungry as they historically have been. Being able to recur a Wasteland with something like um, with something like Crucible seems great.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I didn't really think about Death and Taxes. Uh, to be honest, I wonder how that fits into the, the equation. But
1: well, it's another it's another managed denial deck, right? It has Wasteland and Port, and I mean, obviously these decks are moving lower on curve with cards like Karn and the new Ugin. But they're still pretty mana hungry.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that you made the correct call of putting Delver in there, even though it hasn't necessarily put up the results that we can see. Just based on the the back to basics and and uh, post sort of duality there, that there seems to be obvious room for a, an aggressive black based Delver deck. Like a Thossi's Delver deck. Not black based necessarily, but like a Grixis Delver. And. I think that I expect those to develop, right? Obviously. And I'm sorry, I forget the point that I was going for there.
1: That Grixis Delver was probably a better way to attack the format, which we sort of saw in day two of Niagara. Was that what you were trying to make?
0: No, no, not at all. I'm sorry. I I just totally blanked. But yeah, I came to that same conclusion basically as, as you did, that there's space for a Delver deck right now. And how do you go over that Delver deck while still shoring up your post matchup and having a reasonable game against the blue-white deck, right? And then fast combo is the other piece of this rectangle, I would say. Because you want to either get under that the post deck, like with something like uh, like show-and-tell or faster, I would say. Be able to get under that deck, not have to worry so much about back-to-basics, but also... Uh, I guess the Delver deck would prey on that, but I do think that if you're just talking about those two decks to start, like the blue, white, the back to basics deck and the post deck, then fast combo would come in pretty quickly. Right.
1: Yeah. But it depends on the type of fast combo. Like you talked about sneak and show, which is a little bit more chalice resilient, but remember this post deck, it's still running Trinisphere and chalice and grim monolith and tombs and cities. If you're talking about, uh, a spell based early combo deck, you're gonna get Chalice and Trinisphere quite a bit of the time still. Yeah. So that that matchup might be closer than we think. It it might be really hard to go underneath that deck, even though it has this absolutely insane sort of middle middle of the game prison element that you can get locked out on turn three from all of your mana, all of your activated abilities, and even Force of Will.
0: So you don't think this is going to be a problem then, like the the ancient tomb problem potentially? Like this this I don't know man. Maybe it's just like an overreaction to this card, but it, it exactly what you just said. You know, you can get locked out from your mana on turn two.
1: Or so turn, turn, I think
0: three.
1: yeah, I, I, obviously you can probably do it on turn two with some absurd start, but I think that this is the new thing that people haven't reacted to yet. Okay, obviously. If you want to beat post, there are ways to beat post. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like the sky isn't falling. This is not an unbeatable deck, but people have to adjust. And right now there, there are a bunch of people that are flocking to playing this deck because it, it does extremely broken things. And I don't think enough thought has been going, has, has been put into, all right, this deck is now a known quantity that is X percent of the meta. How does everything adjust around it? Because right now, this is the new thing that is putting up results, that is performing extremely well, and like we talked about with the sort of uh, the sort of organic rotation of Legacy, War really shook things up. Yeah. it put some some very. Very good cards into the pool that w- everything needs to adjust around.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And the the other piece of this is, I guess, the London Mulligan that we didn't really talk about, but sort of adding that consistency.
1: Yeah, we can sort of like throw those results out now because now we're in a moto without the London Mulligan. Yeah. Right. And this is this is more representative of what paper is going to be.
0: Yeah, and I, I just think that. If you if you compound this sort of raw power that we're seeing with this deck, like yeah, we'll we'll adjust to it. But then when you throw in the London Mulligan, I feel like that's depending on how we react to it. If if people react by playing like Sneak and Show, then maybe the the London Mulligan is like a net neutral. But if if people are playing like Delver decks to you know fight against this post deck, then I think the London Mulligan would certainly be in their favor then.
1: Yeah, and I think we're right now we're adjusting around cards in the format pool. Yeah. I think once the Lo- the London Mulligan is adopted and everybody gets on board with it, just that is going to also need a readjustment period for legacy. So we have all of these sort of resonating events that are changing things as we go through the timeline and we'll have another one when Modern Horizons come out comes yeah. out. Yeah. We'll, we'll have another one when the London Mulligan comes. We'll have another one after the Grand Prix in Atlanta. It's... It, it doesn't take much to upset a balance yeah. in a metagame, and with cards as powerful as they are in Legacy, just one new tool, or one new ripple can sort of change the makeup of what everybody is playing, and that's what's so great about it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. I think that I don't know. I I'm I'm just really scared. I, I don't like just by nature. Cyrus had tweeted something yesterday, I think, or some someday recently about this. Just like the the asymmetrical hate on these cards, like Narset and Karn. It it really does make for some some serious like getting locked out of games, right?
1: Like, right, but uh, I mean, there's always been asymmetrical hate. There's there's definitely been more printed recently because i feel like the wizards of the coast designers don't want to print a card that locks you out of doing things right because it makes it feel bad it makes you feel bad that your card is stopping you from doing what you want to do but a- asymmetry isn't a bad thing these cards are not balanced for older formats and that's fine because the card pools in older formats is deeper and usually can handle the shock of cards like this but it it takes a while for that to sort of settle.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it is kind of a bad thing because it doesn't impose any deck building constraints, right? Like you can just throw Narsa in your deck, you can throw Karn in your deck and still play all these artifacts and stuff. Like you you really I guess with Karn you have the deck building constraint of having a wishboard, right? And having access to how much does Megasynth lattice cost?
1: Six. Which actually it's not it's not that bad.
0: Right. I, I thought it was seven, actually. So, just being able to, you know, sort of ramp into these cards. So you do have some constraints in that regard, right? But you, I think everybody's looking at it in the context of chalice decks, right? I, I haven't seen it played outside of chalice decks. So you're talking about big mana decks to begin with.
1: Yeah, and I think there's there's other deck building restrictions in the fact that like you have a card like Narsa. It's a three mana planeswalker in a format like Legacy with spell Pierce and days. That's a liability. <clears throat> Obviously, Karn costing four is less of a liability in an Ancient Tomb, Grim Monolith, Cloudpost deck, but these these cards do have restrictions on deck building, and I think casting cost is something that's uh, that's a high consideration. And generally, that's how Wizards has balanced Legacy playability in the past by sort of making making Standard have a higher curve than the other formats. And now we're starting to see that curve creep down a bit with some very powerful cards.
0: Yeah, the the reason that, that I selected uh Tomb is the card, because it, it negates like uh being down a card, but also just because as as they're sort of adding these standard level cards, those are the cards where the casting cost is the most broken, right? Like the the generic the all generic mana cards, as opposed to like a card with colorless like Thought Not Seer. Which, which is kind of also broken because of Aya Ugin, but like something like Narset, that costs three in any format, right? And three is three. But when you're talking about green cards to some effect, but colorless cards especially, like generic cards, that, that really makes a big difference if it's an artifact in Vintage, but if it's just colorless in Legacy, right? Because you, you get to ramp it out so much earlier. And I, I don't think that the right way to, to go about, like, attacking these cards, like, let's say that Karn, it turns out to be six months from now, like, this extremely powerful card. I don't think the right way to go about that is banning Karn, right? Or, or Grizzlebrand. Grizzlebrand is a little more on the edge, I would say.
1: I, but I could see, I, I could definitely see Grizzlebrand going.
0: I, unfortunately, I agree with you. I think that it's more likely that they ban Grizzlebrand. But I, I that's not how I would attack it if he's not, if you know what I'm saying. I understand. So yeah, I, I do agree that I think that the most likely thing to happen would be a Grizzle Grand
1: Alright, so I are I you think, going to Atlanta? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm locked. I'm one hundred percent in. I think that I'm gonna be in Syracuse and Atlanta. I oh like, shit.
0: Sweet. Yeah, that's yep. awesome,
1: man. Well you're gonna be you're gonna be moving God knows where.
0: Yeah, God knows where it looks like Portland now, man. That's that's the that's the front runner.
1: I... Portland, Oregon or Maine? Yeah,
0: no, Portland, Oregon, the white Hill capital of the U.S., man. It's, hey, that's
1: uh, that's that's not a bad place, right? Like <sighs> it's close enough to Seattle and Vancouver. It's beautiful up there. It's good food, right? The the <sighs> beer. It. I I would I would think that that's a win.
0: At least there's magic players. I know for sure there's like a Portland old school community and I'm sure there's people there playing legacy. And like you said, it's not that far from Seattle. Courtney said that there was like a really nice, like a uh, direct train between the two cities and it didn't take too long to get there. It's not the worst, right? There could, there are worse places I could wind up like, uh, I don't know, St. Louis just to throw something out there. I don't know. But
1: I'm um, uh, Are we, are we taking shots at St. Louis right now?
0: Nah, I don't know anything about it really. I just didn't want to go there. But it it just seems like a kind of like a culturally devoid place, I would say. But I think that uh yeah, it it could certainly be worse than than Portland. I'm not like totally down on it. And our our friends that we talked to from from uh California when we were in Niagara actually kind of talked me off the ledge on that. They're like, "Yeah, Portland's actually a really cool place. I I would move to Portland and" they thought that it was actually preferable to Seattle or San Francisco. So, I kind of feel a little bit better about it. There you go. I'm, yeah,
1: I'm excited for you. Yeah, we'll see how it goes.
0: Anyway, let's get back to Legacy. You want to go through these deck lists, man? Huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, this... this The fact that we call it the deck dump <laughs> is, like, so perfectly fitting for this week. I mean, it's literally just, like, everything, right?
0: Well there's forty two lists. So this yeah. is this is like the deck radioactive waste facility.
1: There's some great stuff here, but this will all get this will all get sort of narrowed down in the next few weeks and things are gonna adjust around it, but there's some there's some crazy shit in here this week.
0: So so the, the first list I had to talk about was a four-color aggro loam with a Blast Zone in it. And this is this is like really cool, and what I kind of was mentioning earlier about uh, Blast Zone, because you think about Chalice decks, right? They, like, historically, you know, they don't play ones, obviously, and sometimes you get under a Chalice deck, and they're not able to catch up, especially if they have, like, Ancient Tombs dealing two damage to themselves a turn. You can sort of close out a game with Delver that way against these decks. But Blast Zone is like the perfect tool for these these decks to just sweep up those ones that get underneath them, like, you know, a Delver and a, maybe two Delver, or like a Delver and a Lava Man or what have you, right?
1: I, I agree with that. And I think that it's not a perfect answer because obviously it coming into play with a counter means it can't hit zeroes. And man, this card would be amazing if you could wipe up tokens with yeah, it. it would
0: with be it. Like a totally different card, yeah. If you could wipe up chalices with it.
1: Or or chalices. So I I think that in a deck that uses lands like a toolbox like Loam does, Blast Zone is sort of a perfect fit. And that that card also saw some play in a bunch of other decks. If I was looking through all of the, the new cards that we saw in this deck dump this week and... And I know that Sugi was playing blast zone in lands that got published. There Sugi was a post. Time. Time. Yep, there was a post deck that was also playing blast zone and it's a card that when I saw it get spoiled, I definitely could see its its utility in the format. So it's it's good to to have that validated.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of exactly what we thought and I think that honestly the most powerful shell for this card like like you said, you know, the actual the Lands deck where you have crop rotations and such, and even the Loam deck where you have more selection via Knight of the Reliquary, it, it's good in, but I think that like Eldrazi Agro, like straight Eldrazi Agro and actually KYC O five thousand uh was in this. 50 with kind of, not exactly Eldrazi agro. It's got Eldrazi mimics and stuff, but it's also playing the monolith. So it's it's a little bit bigger than what we traditionally used to call Eldrazi agro. but it's pretty much the, the aggro list now. It's playing two of those blast zones. And I think that this is like the perfect, like fit like a glove for this card. This, it just seems custom made for the spot. Because like they bring in ratchet bombs historically, like out of the sideboard, right? And this is just like, not having to sideboard f- for it, not having to use like a real deck spot on it, and just being able to sweep up ones, uncounterable sweep up ones for the cost of like, you know, effectively three mana.
1: Agreed. I think that obviously there's some utility in Ratchet Bomb hitting zeros. Yep. And the applications are mostly against Storm decks, but but I, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, it just seems really good to me. KYCOO, we already mentioned Sugi Time. Uh Arkin was the person who 5-0'd with the uh four color loam deck that we started this uh little tangent with. But yeah, five copies of Blast Zone in this in this first full deck dump from War of the Spark. Alright, so so the next list that that I guess I wanted to talk about, this is uh this is the hero. This is uh member 1A of the uh the Esper Discord, like the the blue-white stoneforge. Discord with the uh Esper subtext, I guess or whatever, subgroup. Uh Balenciaga and Boba. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but this dude has like the most five O's with Esper ever. He he's he stays on this on this list. Always oh, putting out five O's with Esper. We talked about him before, I'm sure. You know, he was playing just like Stoneforge Esper Dex. He he played a lot of Maverick uh in the past month too. But he... Got a 5 0 with two copies of Teferi Time Raveler. And this is kind of what we talked about, right? Pairing this card with, with the black cards, like with Thoughtseize specifically. And then you also have your Ponders and your Council's Judgments take advantage of being able to cast stuff on your opponent's turn. But really, it's Thalseus is the big one, right?
1: Yeah, and again, in an Esper shell where the white blue mana makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, I would just be—I would be interested in comparing what it looks like to have Narset in that spot as well. Like, yeah, dude. Obviously, being able to Thoughtseize or Inquisition during the draw step is great, but the deck is probably only playing like five discard, and the odds that you get to pull that off and have it be outstanding just might not line up the way that you wanted to.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, against other blue decks it's always going to be a serviceable card because of the the counter war aspect of it right but just in general against the format yeah you might have just been trying out two teferis to see how good it was right and just happened to 5-0 with it but this this particular deck is built with uh only four basics and no back to basics in the sideboard so i can see where you're going with this not being the spot to start attacking the format from right now
1: yeah, I feel I feel like Teferi doesn't match up very well against the Karndex at all.
0: <laughs> so, there were three instances of Teferi. One, I guess that maybe you you might be a little more interested in uh I'm sorry, there are only two instances. Uh Adelaide with the uh I don't I don't want to call this miracles. It's just, it's just like a blue-white red planeswalker control Teferi with two mentors.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there there was a miracles list that Anorog was playing to a five zero that had Narset and Teferi and Jace, and maybe it wasn't different enough from this list to get published. Okay. okay. But I mean, it's it's miracles. It's blue white X control.
0: Well, it's not a terminus deck though. I, I just wanted to point that out.
1: But it was a verdict deck, right? Yeah.
0: Th- this this one specifically.
1: Yeah, I feel like. No matter no matter whether or not you're playing Terminus or Verdict, if you're if you're playing that shell, yeah, it's, it's fine it's, to it's call the it same, miracles. It's the same shell, yeah. Yep,
0: it's just weird to to call it miracles, right? Like when you when you get to this spot where it's just like this deck for people who are just listening can't look it up. It's two Jace, two Narsa, two Teferi, two Mentor, three Snapcaster, and then. All the instants you'd expect from, from Miracles, and then two council Judgment, four Ponder, four Preordained, three Verdict. So it, it literally just is Miracles with sub Verdict.
1: Yeah, but. I mean, like, we still call Affinity, Affinity, even though there are no Affinity cards, right? Like, it's Yeah, not... but there's
0: not, like, another deck that does play Affinity cards, and we call both of them Affinity, right?
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, I don't know, bro. This is this is a this is a cool looking list though. I mean, you know, it is what it is. There's there's six planeswalkers, right? And I mean, maybe that's just what what miracles is now. I don't know.
1: I think everybody is just testing new cards, and that's the only reason why we're seeing this. Which is why we have 42 decks in the dump, and it's not going to be like that next week.
0: Dude, you know what's crazy about this particular list I'm looking at right now? There are. Just the creatures I mentioned, and no click in the sideboard, so no legendary creatures, but it's still playing the Caracas as, you know, just a defensive tool.
1: Yeah, I mean, having one without a ton of Delver around, I don't want to say it's free, but if you're not worried about getting Wastelanded, then Caracas is usually going to be better than a Plains.
0: Yeah, well, this is a back-to-basics only in the sideboard deck, too, so it's a, a little more free, even. Yeah. So yeah, that is that is interesting. But yeah, any deck that you wanted to discuss?
1: So the the three that are sort of grouped together, the Bomberman with Karn, Twelve Post with Karn, and regular big Eldrazi Stompy with Karn, those those are the three. I think the big push this week that everybody just needs to be aware of is how much Karn is seeing play and how strong the card actually is. People people need to be ready for this and adjust for it. And if you if you listen to podcasts and don't get to play a ton, you don't get to play online, you might show up to your store or the list like keep up with the format and then play in the paper events when you can. Just be ready for this deck and this card. Because if you're not ready for it, you are going to get stomped by somebody carding for Lattice and completely locking you out of the game.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. So, so this deck, this uh, Susuris, uh, uh post deck, is like basically like the post deck from before, but there's also Ugin the Ineffable in here, which we should read for people again because we're we're bad at that. It's a six drop Ugin from the new set. It's a rare. Uh, it's got four loyalty and it says colorless spells, uh, you cast cost two less to cast. And, uh, the plus one is exile the top card of your library face down and look at it and create a 2-2 colorless, uh, spirit creature token. When the token leaves the battlefield, put the exiled card into your hand. So it's kind of like this weird variant on morph. Like, uh, it's kind of like you're creating a morph, but when it dies, the card goes to your hand. And it's not like you can flip the card over.
1: The fact that you can, with this card in play, play a Grim Monolith for free, cast Thought Not Seers for two mana, and just sort of go nuts, just makes makes it worth having. It's an advantage engine that will run its course throughout the game. You get those cards back if your spirits get destroyed. Yeah, And the The fact that the post decks are really sort of cutting a ton of the clunky high end for, I hate to say it, but these fours and sixes that have a ton of impact on the game means that you don't need to go super high with your post mana. You're not hard casting Emrakul anymore. You have Ulamog, the 10 mana Ulamog is your top end, but you can you can very easily... Hit four mana for Karn, six mana for Lattice, or if you have an Ugin in play, do all of that in the same turn. It's it's quite brutal.
0: Yeah, and just to finish out that card, the minus one, which is is only a minus one, is destroy target permanent that's one or more colors. So basically anything other than like if you're playing a mirror, is is just like a machine gun. This card, like the other side of it, so it's just a really good card. And this, this deck is super interesting because it's playing like the big post mana. Like you have four ancient tombs, a, one, only one city of Traitors, but four cloud posts, four glimmer posts, and three Vesuvas. So, and, and four Thespian stage. So you're playing like all the mana ramp from posts, but there's no Ulamog in this deck. It's just four Karn Sina four Karn the Great Creator, three Ugin the Ineffable, and three Ugin the Spirit Dragon and then just three walking and ballista. And then everything else is like ramp and lock pieces.
1: Yeah, so I think that's decklist specific. I've definitely seen ones that still play the 10-mana Ulamog.
0: Yeah, like so there's like the... You'd put Eye of Ugin, Thought Not Seer, and 10-mana Ulamog in, right? As sort of like a... The, like the a little, package. The package. Yeah. So you can tutor up the Ulamog. And then... Th- but this is like an, an alter... Uh, like a... An alteration on that package that's just like straight planeswalkers with a, you know, a couple of walking ballistas in there. And yep. I feel like this deck utilizes a uh, blast zone the best because that deck, a lot of times you see mattery shaper too, which is a pain in the ass card for like mid range decks to deal with to get around. Uh, it's actually like a really good card in that shell that I think is overlooked sometimes. But uh, this deck is a four blast zone deck. I didn't even realize till now. But you're, you have your the casting cost in your cards are ballista's zero, uh chalice is zero, Karn's four, both Karns are four, and then you have a six and an eight for your oogins. And then you just have like Voltaic Key or Grim Monolith or Sorcerer's Spyglass or whatever, but in general, you know, you have no ones that are getting swept up with the exception of uh Voltaic Key. You have a couple twos, a couple threes, but you know, in general, this is just gonna gonna beat the hell out of whatever it needs to with Blast Because where else is the mana going, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're not curving out, it is a powerful mana sink. I mean, if you're just... If you're playing a card like Blast Zone, it might be... It might be beneficial to be running something like a Wastes.
0: I just think this is a cool list. It's not something that I if I were facing off against like a turn one my opponent plays cloud posts, I wouldn't expect this list, right? This right. List, I,
1: I would definitely be expecting thought Sears. I
0: wouldn't have I would be keeping in some number of plows, right? And that would be a mistake against this deck. So I just thought it was interesting. And in the sideboard, they have another walking ballista as their only creature that they would be boarding into. Then the the Karn Wishboard has
1: well, the the Walking Ballista is part of the wishboard as well. Oh,
0: that's true. Yep, I, I did, wasn't even thinking about that. The, the wishboard, though, the rest of the wishboard is Trinosphere, Ratchet Bomb, Sorcerer's Spyglass, Micasin lattice, Tormat's script, and the Staring Bridge.
1: So that is a fairly robust package.
0: Yeah, it's everything you could want, right? I mean, it's it maybe like a Grab Digger's Cage, I don't know.
1: But... Yeah, and as, as a colorless deck, the... The constricting your sideboard to be able to contain the wish parts, t- isn't as much of a handicap as it is in the blue decks, where like you have way more sideboard options. You don't have a ton of sideboard options when you're a colorless deck.
0: Yeah, dude. I mean, it, it's like Leyline of the Void and Warping Whale is is the only thing you ever really see in these sideboards, right? Right. And this deck still has plenty of room for those.
1: All right. So there you go. What else? What else do we have?
0: Uh, the... Okay, we'd be remiss not to mention our buddy over there across the ponds, casting high tides, Marcus, Spiral Tide featuring uh two Narset Parter of Veils.
1: Yeah, Tahu Spiral and Days undoing Doing, they're way better when your opponent doesn't get their cards back, right?
0: <laughs> Dude, he he says something about, like, not even like realizing it when you put it in the deck or like thinking about it when he was casting time spiral and just like benefiting off of it but that that seems like a pretty sick interaction to me because it it kind of gets irrelevant the longer the game goes on with with uh spiral tide where you're just sort of casting these these high tides and you have so much mana and everything that you're going to win a counter war but the first Time spiral that goes off, your opponent only drawing one card as opposed to, like, you know, two Force of Wills on a fluster storm or whatever the fuck. Uh, that seems like a big game to me. That seems like a, a real big improvement for this deck, and I wonder if he would put the Narsets in the main if he were to run this back.
1: Yeah, I mean, um... Yeah, like, eight... Eight, nine, ten for ones are generally considered strong. Yeah. I, I don't... I, I just... I think that... I don't have enough experience with High Tide to actually talk about I it. I have zero,
0: bro. This is, like, one of the few decks I have literal no experience with.
1: Yeah, I... No clue. What? I don't want to talk about it. I just, I don't know how, how it's positioned. I don't know how this card changes it. Obviously, it is a good card, but Time, time Spiral or High Tide seems still weak to all the same stuff that was around.
0: Yeah. I'll,
1: I'll... I don't know if this card changes anything.
0: I'll talk about it for a second. It, it kind of threw me for a loop for a second because I was thinking about blue sun zenith and like you know milling your opponent out with that and Narset turning off that aspect of the card, right?
1: Like, the, yeah, that's absolutely true. You cannot geyser. you cannot stroke out your opponent, but I mean, you can still you can still brain freeze. So yeah,
0: you have to go for the brain freeze, which is you know, It took me a second to get there because I was like, wait, how does this deck play Narset? Uh, also, one thing that I don't know if this is like accepted in the community or if this is just Marcus's thing but I, I see a lot of Teferi's realm in his deck a lot which uh, for anybody who's not in the know Teferi's realm is a visions card one blue blue at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player chooses artifacts creatures lands or global enchantments and all cards of that type phase out so this card is an answer to like multiple artifact lock pieces, like you know your Trinisphere, uh, Chalice decks, or your Mother of Runes, Teague, Night of the Reliquary sort of setups, right? Like the, the way that like those kind of decks can can lock you out with multiple pieces, right? Like you know your Thalia plus Gaddock Teague or whatever. This gets rid of all cards on a certain axis for enough time for you to go off, right? And Narset is not list this is the, the kind of card like uh the old template. First of all it's enchant world. But second of all it's like the old templating where it lists artifacts, creatures, lands, or global enchantments. It doesn't say like any type of card. So it you can't phase out all the planeswalkers, right? So if your opponent has a Narset, you're not going off with high tide.
1: I mean I guess you, you just you set it up to where you just kill your own Narset with the minus, right? No, I'm talking
0: about your opponent's Narset.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. If your opponent has a Narset, then you're not going to cast Time Spiral profitably.
0: Right, so I think that that's why uh, there's the the Echoing Truth in the Wishboard now, as opposed to just playing uh, multiple Deferi's realms. I would like to ask Marcus about this, but I think that 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 Echoing Truth might be a concession to the fact that Narset's a card now.
1: I mean, it it absolutely could be. Yeah, just like there's a bunch of people who I follow to get the pulse of certain archetypes. And he's the person who I follow to get high tide news. He does a really good job of making me want to play high tide.
0: <laughs> so, all right. I know that there's one card that you were specifically excited about from this set, and that's Dread Dreadhorde Arcanist, right?
1: Well, I wasn't really excited about it. I know people <laughs> who are excited about it. I thought that it was just like... It was a slow Snapcaster Mage, and you didn't always get the value from it, and I was actually kind of down on it, but Robert Wilson has been working really hard on tuning some Grixis lists, and he is very, very positive about this card.
0: Yeah, he was telling us, and also a blue-red list he uh, shipped us today in the Discord, and that's what 5-0'd here with uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist in this deck dump, was Sorboon with a like a blue red deck with like a swift spear soul scar mage storm station mage blue red deck, like the old style build. Yeah. With, uh, like just three. sort
1: of blue red prowess.
0: Yeah. And what, what, uh, Robert had shipped us today was more like the slow blue red, like the, the four wasteland blue red deck. That's not this one. But I, I think that I, I was equally down on the card. I, I thought that people would try it. Obviously because it was like the new toy, but I didn't think that it was really going to play. And for all the reasons that you mentioned, right, it's, it's a 1-3 creature that has to attack. It, it takes a whole turn to get your card back out of it. And not only that, but it has to be able to attack. Like if they have a thought here on the board or whatever, you're just running this in for a brainstorm. It's like a one red suspend one brainstorm or whatever. You know, it's not, not really that good. So I, I was not high on this card at all. But it seems like people are picking it up and maybe they're doing well with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ceiling, obviously the ceiling is, is super high. If you have discard and soft counter magic to be able to control the board, this isn't a one and done like Snapcaster Mage. So the ceiling is way higher. But I this wouldn't be a card that I would focus on sort of going deep with. But I'm glad that Robert and a few other people are going and doing the work. And you mentioned the username of the deck that got published. Every time I read this name I think I think it's Sorbo One and I think of Kevin Sorbo from the Hercules series. I have
0: no idea what that means.
1: You have no you ah listeners, light up Ian. Please.
0: What the fuck is a Hercules series?
1: You need to you need to you need to look up Kevin Sorbo. Is it comic books? No, it is not comic books, and you um you need to go back and Netflix Hercules the mid nineties? Oh, the fuck. The mid nineties show that preceded Xena Warrior Princess.
0: Is this part of the Avengers, like Marvel comic universe or whatever?
1: Sure. It's probably Marvel probably owns the rights now. Yeah. That's they probably don't. But yeah, visit visit the official website of Kevin Sorbo and you can uh <laughs> you can take a look. See you what I think look.
0: of when I see this username is Aaron Boone, two thousand three, Yankees vs Red Sox game seven
1: fuck yourself off wakefield left yep. left field over the monster i was at aaron that game
0: boone. you were at fuck. that game
1: i was at that game that must
0: have been a fucking experience bro were you going nuts
1: uh i was going nuts up until that happened that was that a was... that was a great baseball game that i still love i never, still loved Tim wakefield
0: never has to pay for a drink in new york city ever again yeah aaron boone so yeah that's uh what i think of when i see sour boone's username uh, by the way, the Bruins, the Bruins won. They wrapped this series, so they're going on to the championship, the Eastern Conference Championship against the Carolina Hurricanes. So, so
1: go that's Bruins, great. They don't, they don't have to play Tampa.
0: Yeah. Well, nobody does. Like it's so crazy. Yeah, they though, got knocked once. out. They got knocked, knocked out in the out, first
1: but. round. They were supposed to be like one of the best hockey teams in the last however many years, and they just got fucking shit stumped.
0: They had some silly like 128 points. I wonder if Celso still listens to us, bro. I haven't heard. Uh, I haven't heard from him in quite a while.
1: Tampa Bay. He's lighting probably fan. like anyway. like being productive, and doing adult things rather than listening to shitty podcasts.
0: I pictured him like hiding in his room with his Tampa Bay Lighting jersey on, crying. But yeah, he's he's probably being productive, here. Right? So the last deck that I really wanted to talk about because I think that this is a good deck. That you're, you I, are I,
1: on your own here. That is either
0: getting overlooked, or I, I don't know if uh, overlooked is the right word, but just not picked up by many people is the Blood Sun deck. Is it? Did you know where I was going with this?
1: Oh, yeah. I just, I, under the comments <laughs> in the cast notes, I wrote WTF that you're, you are on your own here. You are absolutely on your own.
0: All right. So I think it was Caleb Durward that. That had first like sort of brought this deck out, but a lot of people have messed with it over the the past few months. But it's like on a totally different axis. We have talked about it than than the blood blood moon decks, even though they have a lot in common. Like they're both four ancient tomb decks. This is a four city of traders four ancient tomb deck with blood sun rather than blood moon. So blood sun is two in a red it cantrips and all lands lose all abilities set mana abilities so this deck plays uh it does play chalice but it also has four grove of the burn willows in the main deck and four eldrazi temples because you're not shutting off your lands like a blood moon would you're just shutting off the non-mana abilities so this deck man it, it always catches you like with these sneaky starts and it actually seems like uh really poised to take advantage of the new card, which actually isn't in this deck. So this deck is playing a card called Dread or Champion, which is 2 red red for a 5-4 uh, Legendary Zombie Minotaur Warrior. Uh, That's the one that like, you
1: get, like, you get mana in your mana yeah. pool for the amount of life that gets lost. It yeah, looks, so sort of looks it, like Predator.
0: It, no, so... What it does, it's kind of twisted the way this card works, but it's a 5-4 trample, and when it deals combat damage to a player, Planeswalker, you can discard any number of cards, and if you do, draw that many cards and add that many red, then it stays in your pool until the end of the turn. So
1: Wait, Neheb the Eternal? No,
0: Neheb Dreadhorde Champion.
1: Oh, okay. Never mind.
0: So this card, I've, I've played against Unlimited a few times now, so when it hits you, they can pitch like, you know, uh, if they have like a, a punishing fire and extra land in hand, they can just draw two and add two red to their mana pool. Uh, so it's a pretty sweet card. I didn't really think about it having legacy implications, but it seems fine in this spot. Uh, I'm I was kind of surprised to see that they cut down to two. Uh, I'm sorry, one Legion War Boss because this deck to me is like a, a great four row Master four War Boss deck, and that's what I'd seen in the past. And I kind of expected the new Krenko. So the new Krenko, uh, for listeners, is a Krenko Tin Street Kingpin. It's two and a red for a 1-2 Legendary Goblin. And whenever it attacks, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on it, then create that many 1-1 one, one Goblins. So it's not as good as Warboss or, or Master, but it's a pretty serviceable knife copy of that sort of effect in terms of like being an army in a can and synergizing with the other two.
1: Yeah, I I think maybe the there are some new cards or ne- never mind. Nahab isn't new. Legion Warboss isn't new. I was about to say maybe that this is just a list that's trying to sort of play with some new tools to shave on numbers, but it's it's not. It's not at all.
0: No, it's just sort of a little bit of a different take on on this deck. Uh, I just wanted to talk about it because I've been thinking about the Cranko card, and this Nahab card is a new card, but. It's just an interesting deck, in my opinion, and uh, it's not something that I'm ever going to play, really, but I, I do think that it's, it's worth talking about when it shows up.
1: Yep. I also am not going to play this list.
0: <laughs> if we had a tournament tomorrow, what are you playing? Sneaking show again?
1: No, I'm probably playing Blue or stone Blade.
0: Dude, I'm, I'm pumped for this Limited Grand Prix, honestly.
1: I can't wait to play. It's it's going to be fun. People should on this. I go to Limited. but Oh, I was about to say I, just, I go to limited grand Prix to enjoy myself. I'm not super spiky when it comes to limited. I obviously when I play, I try to win, but it's not. It's not like I am in constructed formats.
0: Yeah, I feel you. It, if I could, uh, if I could, like people are sort of shitting on this limited format, and honestly, the way I feel like if I could distill what makes a good limited set, in my opinion, it's like the replayability of the set and a lot of that is based on like the fact that the pick orders can be really fluid. And I feel like that's like maximized in a couple sets recently, Dominaria and this set. Where there's there's a lot of cards that can be either great, serviceable, or kind of bad in your your two color deck. The same the same sort of archetype, the same two color pairing, based on which other cards you have. So there's a lot of like wiggle room in in like how good the card is depending on what cards you've picked so far. And this yep. is, this is just for draft. And I guess it applies to sealed too, but you're yeah, like you don't have the agency in picking the cards. But I I've, I've just found it to be like uh, a lot of people say that it's a bomb heavy format and that that is true. There are like a lot of bombs in this format. But there's also like a lot of uh, interesting deck building decisions so far. So I have just been like totally hooked on it. And uh, yeah. I I just feel like uh there's a lot to explore and a lot to like about it.
1: Good. All right, so <sighs> to get off limited, what do we have coming up for Legacy? I know we oh. we talked about Atlanta, but we have we have some other big events coming up as well, or some other mid level events coming up as well.
0: So Michelle's having a one K in Acton, like not like a leaving legacy like three K or whatever, but just like uh just like one of those standard one K's. Uh, May 18th, so two weeks from now. It's a Legacy 1K on that Saturday.
1: Perfect. I, I don't think that I'm going to be able to make that, but I would, I would really like to.
0: So I might not be able to make that either. But I think the next Leaving a Legacy 1K is July 20th, which is the week before Pro Tour Barcelona. I'm and
1: definitely going to be at that one.
0: That's Postmodern Horizons. So we'll see what sort of impact that has on the format. Is there anything else that you know of? Because that's that's all that I know of.
1: I know there's the St. Louis... we shit all over St. Louis. But there's the Moonbase Market 10K <laughs> that's coming up. I believe it's in July as well. Oh right. So that's that that will be something that's uh that's worth looking at as well.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's that dude Jeremy, right?
1: Who you literally dumped on his entire area.
0: So yeah, man, I don't know. I I've just uh I've just been doing the limited thing, getting back into legacy, and it's uh, it's crazy, man. I feel like I feel like the format's on its fucking head right now.
1: It's it's a great place to be.
0: It used to be the reason I breathe, and now it's choking me out.
1: Well, let's not let's not have that in, the, in here. We've got to be format format positive. Come on,
0: bro. That was a that was a brand new quote for our listener, Matt Brusa.
1: Oh, I I don't know. Brand new? Is it a band?
0: Are you doing this to fuck with me?
1: No, I actually. Well, okay. So I knew brand new was a band, but I've definitely not listened to them.
0: Are you really mad that I don't? I've never seen Thor or whatever. Wait, what? The the Sunny Bono Thor thing that you were talking about.
1: Sonny Bono Thor. I uh, know. I have no so, fucking what's idea.
0: Sorboon the the user. Sorboon.
1: Oh Jesus Christ! Hercules.
0: Hercules. What's the difference between Thor and Hercules? All right, man is that is that everything we got? We we should uh, tell people about these shirts that are coming
1: out. So I I'm waiting for you to send me. I'm so pumped. I'm waiting for you to send me the graphic to be like, yo, these are the shirts.
0: Oh, okay, I'll do that this week then. I I kind of was just like dicking around with it and not like on a sort of like rush because I wasn't sure what our time frame was. You just yeah, want to no, I, I just
1: I, I just want to show everybody these shirts because they are they are disgustingly awesome.
0: All right, dope, man. So that's open to everybody, too. You don't have to be one of our select few uh, patrons. That's true. Cool. Because I just sort of threw that out there, I don't know if it was true or not.
1: It, no, it's true. We we just made it true. Sweet.
0: All right, bro. Uh, is that a wrap?
1: That's a, that's a wrap.
0: All right, bro. So that's a uh, mic wrap.